0: May be seated. How are you? Good. Well, that was quite a text. Thanks for reading that, Danielle. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, how badly we need you, and yet you are here. You are willing. You are able, and our God is able to do exceedingly abundantly, the Bible says, above what we can ask or think. And so I request your help, would you help me to think clearly and communicate clearly and represent accurately what the the Word of God and the God of the Word teach, and help each of us to hear precisely what you'd like us to hear so that we can leave here, Lord, with our tanks full of your goodness and being even a little bit more transformed into your likeness. We ask it in Jesus' name. And if you agree with that prayer, would you say amen? Amen. So the title of this message, we're wrestling, Uh, Nicholas and I and some of the other people who are in the preaching rotation, we're wrestling with whether this is going to become a a series. Uh, But for now, this is a standalone message, could turn into a series. But before I dive into this, I want to just say with Nicholas what he expressed last week when he preached, and that is, thank you so much for your kindness. I know... October was Pastor Appreciation Month, and I tell you, I know I felt appreciated, so did he. Thank you for your kindness, your cards, the generosity, just beautiful thoughts. Thanks so much. So, what is this uncommon virtue? The virtue is vulnerability. Vulnerability, what what does it mean? What does it mean, and is it a biblical idea? There's many connotations. I'm sure you understand that there's many connotations of this word. For instance, if you happen to be easily misled and considered naive, the word can refer to a vulnerability of being taken advantage of, and that wouldn't be a virtue. It can also mean that you're physically weak and without protection, like a small child or a fragile elderly person, in that case, it's not a virtue, but also it's not a fault. And for our purposes this morning, it means being forthcoming about your struggles and practicing a kind of raw honesty, not pretending, not focusing on managing your image. In God's eyes, this is virtuous. But also, sadly, it's uncommon, would you agree? The driving motivation for this kind of vulnerability is a desire to be free from the stranglehold that our struggles can have on us. When we hide our deepest pain, this can result in a lot of unpleasant things like anguish. Hannah experienced anguish. It can also result in depression. When you, when you have things that are troubling you, afflicting you, tormenting you, and you don't share them with anyone, it can lead to things like this. Anguish, depression, even resentment. You begin to think that other people are to blame for the condition of your, your soul and your heart. It also can keep you from dreaming. You know, God has designed us with the ability to dream about a, a preferred future. But when you are overwhelmed with the things that torment you and they they reach a fever pitch, you just forget about dreaming. You, You can't imagine that things will ever be better. It gets pretty hard to feel hope. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Also, if you don't learn to be appropriately vulnerable and share your stuff, it's very likely that you'll turn to counterfeit comforts—things like chemicals, porn, or sexual permissiveness—and actually, it can have a physical effect. It can compromise your immune system. I know, I know someone uh, who who really struggled with a lot of emotional challenges due to some relational conflict, and over the course of time she just didn't seem to know how to turn it over to the Lord, and she became vulnerable, it seems, to every kind of physical affliction. It can actually affect your immune system. Is this kind of vulnerability that I'm talking about biblical? I I think so. Hannah provides an example for us, she's one of my favorite characters in all the Bible, When I've been asking God to teach me how to pray more effectively, it seems like he consistently turns my attention to her. She talked to God about what really troubled her. She shared her heartbreak with the Lord, and then when judged by an observer who made the assumption that she was drunk, I'm talking about Eli the priest, she told him what was going on. She admitted it. Let's unpack this a little bit. Hannah's a Hebrew woman. You're reading your Bible, you'll learn that she was what we would call a daughter of Abraham, a Jewess, a Jewish female. She's married, which is a good thing in her culture. To be married was to be protected. She's married to a good man, but this good man is, is a polygamist, which was not uncommon in those days. He had another wife. We heard her name. I'll call her Penny. The text calls her Penina. Polygamy was a common practice. It was kind of an accommodation by God because of the hardness of people's hearts. An accommodation, by the way, is not an endorsement. There are other accommodations God makes in Israel's history, like he didn't want them to have a king. He made that very clear, and eventually he let them have a king. He capitulated to that desire. It was considered a special blessing in ancient Israel to be married, there were practical benefits to this. Unmarried women were especially vulnerable to being preyed on and in that patriarchal culture, making ends meet without a husband was very difficult. Usually women had two options, one was to beg and one was to prostitute herself or themselves. Yet her circumstances were difficult because she was unable to bear children, and being barren was considered to be a sign of judgment for some kind of evil. So people would guess, you know, what is she being judged for? She can't have children, she's been married all this time. Must be something naughty in her life that we don't know about, or maybe in her family line, and she's paying the consequence for it. Therefore, people viewed her with suspicion being married and not having kids was actually a social disgrace. And then if you add to that that her husband's other wife, Penny, had several children, both sons and daughters, and she would provoke Hannah over the fact that she couldn't have children, not a nice person. And she'd provoke her till Hannah wept, and it says this went on, in the text it says it went on year after year. It was observed that Hannah was downhearted and couldn't eat. You ever been there? You're downhearted and couldn't eat. I remember learning that my my mother, when she was married to her first husband, she discovered that he was having an affair with someone, and he'd gotten this woman pregnant, and my mom lost 60 pounds just in a matter of months, just couldn't eat, her heart was broken, lost her appetite. In Hannah's case, she and her family went to a location, a place called Shiloh, where believers would pilgrimage to worship. And it was there she admitted her internal pain to God, and she clearly allowed herself to feel that pain, and she didn't pretend that everything was okay. And in verse 10 of 1 Samuel 1, it says, in her deep anguish she prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. When you're in pain, that kind of pain especially, it's good to admit it to yourself and to the Lord. Now Eli the priest was nearby and he observed Hannah. He saw her lips moving, he didn't hear anything coming out of her mouth, so he assumed she's drunk and he rebuked her for that, an unfair accusation, and she explained her dilemma to him. She shared that she hadn't been drinking but she was pouring out her heart to God because she hadn't been able to have a child. She mentioned her request that she was asking God for a child and Eli said, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord grant you peace. He's essentially saying, I'm coming into agreement with that prayer. What are the benefits of the kind of vulnerability I'm talking about? Being able to be absolutely truthful about your pain. The immediate benefit is that The stuff that keeps you in mental torment in what you might call a mental and or behavioral prison begins to lose its grip. The recovery community has learned you're as sick as your secrets. You're as sick as your secrets. See, light, light always drives out darkness. Another benefit, when you share... Things that really embarrass you, you'll find out that you're not alone. Others also experience the same or similar challenges. A camaraderie is formed. Others come alongside of you in your journey. You see, the the enemy wants you to keep things to yourself because he wants you to remain alone because you're most vulnerable to his influence when you're alone. Another benefit to sharing your stuff, you can find practical help to a better life. You can find that people actually have been through what you've been through. They've walked that path and they can show you some of the steps And you won't have to walk it alone. Just having somebody walk with you is so encouraging. And then, as you gain healing, and you will, as you gain healing, you're going to see that God's going to use you to bring hope to some others. You're going to help other people experience freedom as you share your story, the story you've been so reluctant to share because it embarrasses you. A man who's been taking the Oaks of Righteousness training said to me the other day, you know, we're learning that hurt people hurt people, but also that healed people heal people. He said, that's beautiful. That is so beautiful and so true. And so when we share, other things happen, like we move toward completeness. Now, there's a passage in the Bible that I find frustrating There's a lot of passages in the Bible that I find frustrating, by the way. It's usually not the things that I don't understand that bother me, it's the things I do understand that bother me. There's a passage in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five, verse 48, where most translations say Jesus said be perfect as God is perfect. And if you're a guy like me who struggles with perfectionism, which has been said that it's the worst kind of personal abuse, -abuse self-abuse that there is, Uh, You don't need to read a passage like that. And yet we, you know, I know the Bible is good for me, so I'm thinking, is that really what it means? It actually isn't a good translation. This is what Jesus said. Be therefore complete as your Father is complete. He's telling us to keep moving toward wholeness. Wholeness. Does that make sense? He's not asking us to be perfectionists or to be perfect. He, he wouldn't ask us to be something we couldn't be. There really is no perfection this side of heaven, no perfection this side of heaven. Paul said, I've never obtained perfection. He said that. But we move toward it. And then it's also helpful to remember in this process, God meets us where? He meets us in weakness. He meets us in weakness. He meets us where we are most vulnerable, most most vulnerable to, to temptation, where we feel most afraid, where we feel least competent, And everybody's got these things, everybody. Just that some people look like they have their stuff together, and some, some don't share their stuff. They're too embarrassed. And their stuff keeps a stranglehold on them. So how might I grow in experiencing and practicing this virtue of the the good kind of vulnerability we're talking about? I think we have to realize that there's a relational component to vulnerability that is being forthcoming that leads to freedom. There's a relational component. Vulnerability is cultivated in community, in community. And and know what community isn't and, and what it is. Community can't happen merely when we're a part of a worship event with dozens or hundreds or thousands of people, just impossible, because in order for community to happen, deep connections have to happen, and you need a much smaller group in order for that to happen. Community, or or we might call them vital connections, happen when we're consistently in a small group environment where we get to know people and learn if we can trust them and if it's safe to share our story with them. I was leading a house church in the Twin Cities for uh, several years, from 2009 uh, till about 2021, when I, I couldn't participate anymore because I became my, my late wife's uh, personal caregiver, and she needed a lot of care. But during that time, all those years, this, this small group of people became my people. They were what I would call safe place people. You could share anything with this group. And there were maybe about 5 people who came consistently. On a big night there were there were maybe 10. In fact, in fact, I met these pastors at this event, these two young guys, I just based on overhearing their conversation with each other and when I was walking up to them, they were super, super impressed with big crowds, big crowds. I mean, we all are. And they were talking about the size of their church, and I said, you know, my church grew. My church grew by 100% one night. They said, are you kidding? I said, no, no, absolutely not. I said, we went from five to 10. I said, what? So said, I pastor a house church. I go, oh, okay. Clearly they weren't impressed with me. But my church did experience 100% growth in one night. But this, these people, we, we got to know each other and we weren't an exclusive club, we welcomed newcomers, there were people who would come from time to time, others. But there was one guy in our group, I won't, I won't say his name out loud here, not his real name, I'll just call him Tony. I knew him well, he wanted me to mentor him, we met almost every week, met at a coffee shop, And he spilled the beans to me, told me his stuff, his journey, you know, he'd had a, a brain injury in high school through a car accident. He'd been an athlete, couldn't participate in his sport anymore and didn't live the life, wasn't able to live the life he wanted. He still was a pretty bright guy, finished college and was a poet and a writer and a beautiful, gentle, gentle soul, but he was going through some really bad stuff. He'd been preyed upon by a college professor, a woman 15 years older than him, manipulated him. and uh, and he had an affair with her. And uh, you know, of course he was complicit, he played a role, he had some responsibility, but the truth is she was 15 years older, there was a power differential, she was his professor. In some ways he was a victim. And he felt such shame, and he felt like, and this is at a Christian school, and if I named this school, you'd be horrified. It's a school with a great reputation. But there's predators everywhere. And so he felt such shame, so felt like such a loser. How can I call myself a Christian? I said, buddy, you are a Christian. And God didn't abandon you in the middle of this. And I'm just, I'm so concerned about you because you're so, you're so depressed and I, I want you to be able to get help. We have some great re- healing resources for you. And I said, and, and your faith community needs to know, you need to tell them your story. He said, I know, I'm just not ready. I said, okay, well, it's your story to tell. It's not my story to tell. I hope, hope you're ready sooner rather than later because I think it'll make a big difference. Well, it was months. People noticed. They said, are you okay? Tony, are you okay? No, not really. I'm just not ready to tell. One night he was. He said, guys, I know you know I haven't been doing that well. He said, I know, you know, I told, I've told Kevin, he knows, but here's my story. And we all just started weeping. Everybody gathered around him, loved on him. There was no judgment, no shame. He wasn't defending his actions. And you know, that was a new beginning for him. I watched something beautiful take place. You could see the light return, the confidence return, the hope return. After that, he took better steps to get some help. He moved to a location where he could live with a sibling and it. He got a different job. He got involved in a good faith community. What a beautiful thing. And then because of that, at that meeting that night, there was a guest there, someone who'd never been there. Someone I'm pretty sure, based on my conversation with him, wasn't a follower of Jesus, but Tony felt comfortable sharing anyway. And how did this guest respond? He said, you know, I think I could use some prayer too. Would you guys pray for me? What a beautiful thing. Another one of these meetings, we have a husband and wife there. And they're beautiful people. And the wife says, with my husband's blessing, I want to share with you that I've been having an affair. I knew about that. They told it with me. I mean, to me. They said, we want help. The husband said, I I want this marriage to work. I'll do anything to make it work. She said, I'll do anything to make it work. And you know what? They did. But you know what the reaction of the faith community was? Still, those few people, it wasn't judgment. It wasn't shaming. It was, I'm so proud of you. You shared such personal information. It must be so difficult to share something like that. But you did. That's community, guys. That's the kind of vulnerability that I'm trying to talk about this morning. Being that honest about these things that happen in our lives that we wish didn't happen. We're not proud of them. We want to be delivered. We want to become different people, right? I bet you, I bet you the fact that you're here shows that you want to be a better version of yourself. But see, the Christian life really isn't about becoming a better version of yourself. That happens, that's a bonus. The Christian of life is letting the God of the universe love you unconditionally. Now, right this moment, so that you experience it and don't just have a theology of it. I gotta tell you, if you don't get anything else about the Christian life, get that. That's the most important thing. How do I know that? Because God is love. The Bible says he's love, his essence is love. It's not an attribute of God, it's the essence of God. He loves you, it says, it says you're loved as you are. With with before you change at all. If you never change, you're loved as you are. You're loved unconditionally. It says in Romans eight, there's no deal breakers, there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God, not a thing. No bad decision you made, no good thing you failed to do can can disqualify you from this relationship. And then if you learn to trust the God who loves you as you are unconditionally, inexhaustibly, non-intrusively, in the course of time you'll say, you know what, I'm getting to meet some of his people who are like him. I can trust those people. You can't trust everybody. You can't trust every Christian. There's some Christians I wouldn't trust to share any of my personal stuff with. I've met some of them. And I'll tell you what, you find out as soon as you share a little personal stuff, you get judged and you get shamed. And I mean right now, I have a word from them for the Lord. You're not speaking for him. You're speaking for you, you Pharisee. I say that with authority. I'm a recovering Pharisee. I am. And i got to tell you, that's not okay. When someone's broken, they don't need judgment. Now, when someone walks with a swagger and they're justifying bad stuff, naughty stuff, guess what? I'll take out the law with the best of them and give them a good thumping with it. And some of you have had that experience. I have been the instrument of God to administer the law to you. And I'll do it again. When people walk with a swagger, when people are up in my grill, all defiant, they're just gonna go their way and basically tell God to take a flying leap, oh man, I'll tell you, I'll minister the law. I'll be pastor law. But when people are broken, people already feel shame People already feel tormented, they're in agony, they want to change, and they haven't been able to find a way to change. They do not need law. Law at that time is spiritual abuse. And I'll tell you what, I'll give you a good kick in the butt if you do it. And I catch you doing it. Because I've needed that too. We cannot have that in this church. We cannot have that in the body of Christ. That is not Christianity, that's pharisaism, that's legalism, that's a shame-based culture. There's no place for it here, would you agree with that? No place. We come to God, there's only one way to come to God, that's as you are. That's broken, needy. Community, community is that place where you can have those vital connections, you can share the personal stuff where you won't experience rejection. I was just told this morning, Dina shared this, you know, she's one of the the trainers, one of the leaders of the mighty, the Righteous Oaks. She said she learned, she learned that, that rejection registers in the brain the same way physical pain does. Isn't that something? Well, so we don't want to be the place where broken people experience rejection. In time, in time, guys, take a risk, please. Take a risk. Share with one person, in a recovery community, we call them sponsors. Share with some somebody. You'll find out in a hurry if you want to share anything more with that person. But there are some safe place people. I just I just shared something with somebody the other day. Some, Tom Stewart, you remember some? Of, you know Tom. Tom was here for 14 months, ministered as an interim pastor. He's become a trusted friend. I shared some very personal stuff with him. I wanted to talk to him. I needed some insight, some mentoring. What a beautiful thing to share. I've shared some embarrassing stuff right now. Thankfully, I, I I hope this isn't self-righteousness. I have no way of tell, telling you with any accuracy whether I'm being self righteous right now or whether I'm testifying. I think I'm testifying. I don't have a secret. And you know that's a relief? I've told all of my secrets. The things that have shamed me and embarrassed me, the things I've never wanted people to know, it took me years to get every one of them out. Every one of them. And I hope I keep doing this the rest of my life. If I live to be 100, I hope, I hope I do this the rest of my life. I hope I will humble myself. You know where you meet God? You meet God by going low. The word for humble yourself means to go low. And God says he always meets you when you go low. He gives grace to the humble, but he opposes proud people. It's a wonderful thing. I have a spiritual director. I've told him all my stuff, everything. I was scared. I thought, boy, who knows how he's going to react. Man, I tell you what, I got a big old hug from Jesus through that guy when I told him my embarrassing stuff. And you know what? In the process, God started bringing healing to my heart. He wants to heal every one of us. But you can tell by my animosity toward legalists that I'm not fully healed. (laughs) Because some of that is pure flesh. Some of it, not all of it. Not all of it. Uh, this isn't original with me, but I've found out if there's something I won't share, it will own me. It will own me. And I've also learned that sharing doesn't help if I'm in, not entirely honest. If I'm not entirely honest. If I sugarcoat it. You know, I'm seeing a new degree of this kind of transparency among the elders in this church. Our elders' meetings are not just about business. They're becoming a place where brothers share their weaknesses, their fears, and their worries. That's a beautiful thing to see. What makes doing this so difficult? It is difficult, isn't it? You know, it's usually a combination of things like the fear of rejection and judgment, fear of judgment, and or under our pride. But what, what motivates some people to push through those things, that through that fear of rejection, that judgment, their pride, it's, it's called desperation. You get to a place where you just don't want to be the same person anymore. You, you just don't want that thing to own you anymore. And you realize, I just got to share it. I just got to get it out. And you do. And you take the risk of rejection, don't you? And I, I'll tell you what, here's a conversation I've had with myself when I'm prepared to share with somebody and I'm not sure what their rejection, their, that is, their reaction will be, even though I'm pretty confident that they will not mistreat me or abuse me. I tell myself, well, Lord, ultimately, if they reject me, ultimately all that really matters is do you accept me? Are we good? Because ultimately, everybody, that's, that's all that really matters. Do You have God's approval. Ultimately, I think I, that's all I really care about. Honestly, life's too short to worry about other people's opinions. But having said that, I wanna say I've learned that there are people that can be trusted to hear your stuff and to help you find your way. So I'm gonna ask you to ask God for the gift of desperation. The gift of desperation that will help you to become appropriately vulnerable. Does this make sense? I hope. Well, let's let's pray. I'm gonna invite the worship team up. And you know, I do this every week. Nicholas does this. We we love it when people come to know Jesus, and Jesus is the person we want to be pointing to. We don't, hopefully, we're never pointing anybody to ourselves. We're not the Savior. We're pointers. We want to point people to Jesus and for those of you who are veteran Christians, guess what, you need Jesus as much today as the day you got saved, right? You might have a date on your calendar when you say, that's, that's when it happened. Well, it needs to happen again. You know why? Because Paul said, we've been saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved. This is an ongoing thing. So to everyone I say, welcome Jesus in. Cry out to Jesus, that's the name. There's something special about that name, you guys. This name is above every other name, and it's the name at, at which demons tremble. There's supernatural powers in the universe, and they tremble at the name of Jesus of Nazareth, man. We gotta say that name. We gotta cry out to that name, because his name is the name that saves and delivers. I'm telling you, it's powerful. There's power in the name of Jesus, so cry out. If you're a guest, you've never opened your heart to Jesus, you're a veteran, say, Jesus, today I wanna say, I need you today. Don't make any promises, I'll follow you wherever you lead me, how about just Jesus I would like to be the kind of guy who will keep his promises to you, but Lord, I wanna accept your promises to me. I wanna focus on your goodness and receiving your goodness. So let's pray. Lord, thank you that you are awesome and you are amazing and you are wonderful. Open our hearts, help us to open our hearts to you and receive what you intend to give us. If you agree with that prayer, would you say amen?